Welcome to the Crosswalk Community Church Podcast. What, it, uh, what a great blessing it is to be here with you guys today. I get to be with you guys every week, usually in some fashion or another. A lot of times it's up here playing guitar, but it's really nice to be down here with you today, bringing the Word of the Lord. <clears throat> Appreciate it, Don. <clears throat> We're going to be continuing in this series called Be the Move. And so this series is all about articulating the things that we believe as a church are necessary for every person to thrive in their faith in Jesus. And it's really not just a sermon series, but it's also kind of the the vision or mission for the church for this coming year and beyond. And so Pastor Keith asked me to share a part of that with you today. And we're going to talk a lot about the importance of community. So the word this week is belong. We heard last week from Patrick, maybe this this kind of mission statement, that the purpose of Crosswalk is to be a church that helps people from all walks of life to walk with Christ. But we we really need to start examining what happens after people take that first step that Patrick talked about last week of believing? So again, I want to I want to recount that a little bit. If you were here last week or if you weren't, Patrick spoke about believing, and he talked about four pillars of belief, and not only what we believe but why we believe it. And the key reference there was really around the deity, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. And his key scripture was Roman 10.9 talking about what you have to do to be saved. And if you do those things, you are saved. <clears throat> but today, I'm here to talk about what comes after that. I'm here to talk about belonging. Belonging to the body. Belonging to one another. And belonging to the family of God that is called to cling on to the hope given to us by Christ. Belonging equals being part of the body of Christ as laid out in Scripture. And belonging is more than just attending church, but truly doing life together with Christian friends. See, if you believe and you're saved, that Patrick talked about last week, that's a one-time decision that lasts your Christian lifetime. It's a first step in the walk with Christ. But belonging is a continual decision that we have to make to be involved with the body of believers. It's part of a continued stride in faith. I want to start with a couple of self-examination questions. Why do we bother coming here? Why do I need to draw closer to other Christians? If all I had to do was believe to be saved then why do I wake up early on Sunday morning? I could sleep in, throw on a nice comfy pair of pajamas, get in my recliner and watch football all day. Why why bother coming here? And why do I need more friends? My life is already saturated with friends from high school and college. I've got plenty of friends from work. Why do I need to care about the future? I'm already saved. If the end times come tomorrow, then all I really need is the Lord, right? And, and as, I, as, I'll, as I'll be speaking today, I realize already some of you might feel like I'm preaching to the choir. After all, 
You guys all got up and came here on this blistering cold morning. You made that decision to get here, and you've probably made that decision to get involved with different ministries or different classes that enrich your knowledge and, and increase your spiritual growth. But I know that's not true for everybody that's here today. There are people here that come maybe because their family does. Or maybe they come and they like coming, but they don't really feel like they belong here yet. They haven't really made very many friends here. I just want to talk a little bit about what it's going to mean for our church to belong together. And not just what I think it means, but what does the Scripture reveal for us about what community is in our life. We are called to community by our Creator. We're going to be reading a lot of Scripture from the New Testament today, starting with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 27, Paul tells the church in Corinth, Now you are part of the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. We are a body composed of many members with each having unique talents and gifts. In the book of Romans chapter 12, 4 through 5, it says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Yet increasingly in these times, we set out to kind of live our lives alone and allow things like technology to try to connect us together. Really an artificial, an artificial community. It might get you through your social life, post your pictures of the nice dinners you've had or the cool events you went to, but it's really artificial and it doesn't fit the bill for what God has called us to in terms of community. In fact, really using some of these devices really lead us to isolation. The Anglican cleric John Donnie wrote a famous line in a 17th century book. And I think a lot of you have heard this before. No man is an island. Every man is a piece of the continent. A part of the main. But yet, as I mentioned, we sometimes find ourselves in seasons of isolation. And whether this isolation is caused by illness or a physical reason that you're kind of apart, or maybe it's caused by insecurities or anxieties, it's really, really dangerous for a Christian to be in isolation. In fact, we, we have a warning about it in, in Scripture. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But as part of simple wisdom in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. It continues in verse 12, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So what does all of this mean? To me, it means that even though we may be saved because of belief, the journey cannot end there. Life is long, and the mission given to us by Christ is large. It shows me that in order to get the most out of our personal walk with Christ, there is God-directed benefit in communing with other believers. And so to me, it points to the fact that church crosswalk 
is a place to belong. And so again, belonging is going to be a key focal point for our church this year. It's one of the, the vision statements or mission statements, if you will. And so we're, I'm going to talk about our key scripture for the rest of the sermon real quick. Our key scripture today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 23 to 25. It says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm going to talk about three tenets of what it means to belong at Crosswalk. And I'm actually going to kind of do it in reverse order. We're going to start with verse 25 and work backwards. And I'm going to be talking about encountering one another, encouraging one another, and enduring together. So the first one I want to talk about is encountering one another. Again, our key scripture verse was verse 25. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. By gathering together, we follow the words of Jesus and provide a space for God to move. Now Jesus didn't say that in Hebrews. The writer did, which we, the book of Hebrews is usually ascribed to Paul, but there's some amount of scholarly dissent on who actually wrote the book of Hebrews. But what Jesus did say is this. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, I am with them. Jesus gives us an assurance that our prayers, praise, and worship will be heard and that He will be in our midst. Further into the New Testament, we're giving more direction to meet with one another. And the example that we're given about what a church is is given in the book of Acts. Following the, the day of Pentecost, the believers continued to regularly meet. And so if we look at chapter 2, verses 44 to 47, this is what it says. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I'm not here to tell everyone here to go out and sell all of your possessions. That's not really a command that I'm entitled to give. But the writer of Acts, whom we know from last week's sermon is Luke, right? You guys paying attention last week to Patrick? He emphasizes that the way the early church did business was together. In one another's homes, breaking bread together, praising God together, worshiping together, and being the body together. And God, in His turn, saw this act and used them to increase the number of people being saved daily. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in a church family where people are getting saved, turning their life over to Jesus every single day. This is the example set forth for us by Jesus' closest followers, His friends while He was on the earth. And so if we're to emulate that today, even in modern times, it's 
doesn't look that different. It's, it's, it's a church full of believers helping one another out by moving boxes when somebody needs to move, by getting together and helping to repair someone's car that can't afford it, by raising money, by restocking food shelters, by giving blood to save lives, and giving to the storehouse so that the church can continue to grow in meaningful and impactful ways in the community. It looks like a group of friends headed over to someone's house to break bread, share a laugh, and lift up and encourage one another for the glory of God. It's not that different between then and now. Gathering together in church will lead to the growth of the kingdom of God. That's a promise given to us in Acts chapter 2. We need to encounter one another in His house to continue growing in grace and love, in knowledge and wisdom, and to continue growing the kingdom of God one believer at a time. So we're really talking here at that big church level though, the macro level if you will. This meeting right here that we're in. When we talk about coming to church, this is what we're talking about. But if we kind of continue through our key verse, we quickly kind of go to what I call the micro level, the one-on-one level. And when we start to talk about encouraging, it's a much more personal engagement. We, yeah, we can, we can come together in this place and encourage one another on by, you know, asking people if they had a good day and just kind of trying to cheer them on. But as we were about to find out, the encouragement that the writer of Hebrews is talking about here is a lot more personal than that. In verse 24, it says this again, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And the interesting word in there is this word spur. You know, in, in, in English, the definition of spur that we normally use is this idea of incentivizing or just encouraging. Rah, rah, rah kind of thing. But really, if you dig into the verse and you dig into the word that it is in Greek, the word is actually paroxysmos, which is actually a little bit meaner than encourage. It means to incite, to provoke, even to irritate. So you're talking about an encouragement that's inciting or provoking. Our encouragement toward one another should be directed. Ironically, the definition of spur in the Greek is really a lot closer to what a spur does on a cowboy's boot to a horse. It kind of digs into the side and gives direction By digging that heel into the side of the horse, the horse will start to veer a little bit left or right. That's the definition of spur here. And so as we seek to lift Christians up, it should be guided and directed. But directed toward what? Well, the author tells us that too. Towards love and good deeds. Well, good deeds make sense. We do that as a church a lot, we pitch in, we volunteer, we have all these events where we're trying to help the community. Good deeds, and that's great. But what about this towards love thing? What does this love mean? Well, again, it's important to look at the Greek in that verse. Because as many of you might be familiar in the church, that love in Greek is this, is a, a, a version of this word agape. And agape is, is a really special word in Greek. It's not just romantic love like we see in romantic comedies. This is the kind of love 
that God has for us. This is the kind of love that caused God to create a plan and send His Son to be a perfect sacrifice on earth through crucifixion so that we could be back in right relationship with Him. Kind of love. This is the love that Jesus talks about in the book of John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's the kind of love we're talking about. That's agape. And put a different way, it's the kind of love that really doesn't seem very natural to us as humans. It's the kind of love that forgives people when they hurt us, even though we know that they really couldn't care less. And it's the kind of love that allows us to go out and empty out our own bank accounts so that someone else doesn't starve. And it's also the kind of love that allows us to be willing to stand up to Christian brothers and sisters when we know that they're going the wrong direction. It's tough. It's different. It doesn't make sense. And those good deeds, encouraging one another on towards acts of kindness and charity, again, a lot of that is things that people of the world just won't understand. It's hard to understand it unless you know who Jesus is. Unless you appreciate why Jesus came here and what He did for us. Those things don't make sense to a lot of people. So how can you apply what this says? You know, what it means is that as you seek to encourage your friends, you want to do so in a way that builds them up toward the will of God. In love. You want to do so in a way that reminds them to be charitable and kind in their actions. And that's awesome. However, there's one problem. We are all fallen people, right? None are righteous. And we don't take very kindly to just anybody coming up to us and telling us what to do and how to make a course correction, do we? So, so, so who can do this? The second part of this today is this. It's important that we have friends that we give permission to speak into our lives these words of encouragement. And so remember, I'm down here at this micro level, this one-on-one relationship level here. And in verse 24 is also really talking about how important it is that we have meaningful connections with people. It really shows us how important it is that each one of us has at least one other Christian friend. And I'm not talking about being friendly. A lot of us are really friendly. We say hello to each other at church, and then we say hello to each other at church the next Sunday. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a kind of friend that you're on the phone with every day that you share your hopes and dreams with, that you discuss your trials and tribulations with. I'm talking about a best friend. And also, it's somebody that you're willing to give that permission to speak those words into your life. And having these micro-level relationships, they're not only vital to your continued walk with Christ, there's so much value in having friends and even groups of trusted friends. But when I use these words micro and macro, I don't know if anybody else does this, but I think about microeconomics and macroeconomics. Anybody remember those classes? Well, just like in economics, what happens down here at this micro level, these one-on-one relationship levels, really affects what goes on in the whole church as a whole. Right? And so if we're a church that's not being friends with one another down here at this bottom level, then how is it ever going to hold up here at this, at this larger level, right? Could you imagine a church where people who have permission to speak into one another's lives 
are encouraging, inciting even other people towards radical God-inspired acts of love and kindness. That sounds like the kind of church I want to be at. So as we move on to this last verse or this last tenet, you can start to see that we have this encounter, which is kind of our macro level, and we have this encourage, which is kind of this micro level, but there's room there for kind of a middle, a middle level. And these, these friendships start to give, to give that, give that way. Some churches will call them life groups or small groups or cell groups or whatever you want to call them. But whatever you want to call them, they sort of look like groups of friends who start doing life together. And it's really vital that we have these groups of friends because our last tenet is the word endure. Verse 23 says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised, he who promised is faithful. As a community of believers, we can find strength to endure through trials and persecution. We talked about earlier that choosing to believe is kind of like a one-time thing and choosing to belong is a continual thing. Well, this journey of being a Christ follower isn't a two-week gig. It's a complete lifestyle change. It's a lifelong decision. And I'll be the first one to tell you, Trials will come, sorrows will come, and persecution will come. And again, I'll reiterate that. Being a follower of Christ is a lifestyle, not a short-term commitment. It's a change. So in these times, especially in these times we're in today, we need one another to endure in faith so that we can, as the verse tells us, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And, and really the thing is, is for those of us that have chosen to believe, enduring really isn't a choice. It's a must. And without belonging, it's all impossible. It's all but impossible to endure. I won't say it's impossible. All things are possible, but it sure makes it difficult if we're going to try to do it all in isolation. In the book of James chapter 1, verses 2-4, through four, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The Bible straight out tells us this is going to happen. We're going to have trials. We're going to have persecution. It also says to continue to work through it so that your perseverance will be mature and that your faith will be mature and complete. The awesome news is that even though this is going to happen, it doesn't say that we have to do it alone. We have our Christian friends or our small groups of believers that we can lean on in these times for godly counsel and encouragement and prayer for our trials. So as we allow these groups to grow closer together, more developed in faith in the Spirit, we will be able, we will be more able to overcome trials and produce the perseverance talked about. Continuing on in the book of Hebrews, actually the same chapter where this our key scriptures from it actually, it actually really speaks to a very similar thing. Just a little bit further in chapter 10, verse 32, it says this. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property 
because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. We don't want any of these things to happen. That's kind of our human nature. We don't want bad things to ever happen, right? But unfortunately, they will happen. Scripture says that they'll happen. Experience tells me that they're going to happen again. If you have chosen to believe, then you will have to endure. And so how can we best do this? The church as a whole provides a strong structure, but as a church grows, we have this problem that can sometimes happen, is that some people end up getting left out of those close relationships. And the one-on-one friendships are excellent, but in the case of true hardships, only having that one friend may may uh, cause an, an issue where that person is not able to share that load adequately. So that's where these life groups that we're talking about comes in. Taking some combinations of those close friends together who start to do their life together just as the church early, early on did. In fact, one of the things that I think is coolest about that passage from Acts 2 is, is the verse where it says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And so, you know, my group of friends here at church probably know that about me. I love going out to eat with our worship team after practice or, and just to hang out and, and just be together. And, and as a whole church, we, we kind of do that every once in a while. We had that great Thanksgiving dinner, but that's much, much less frequent than what the author in, in Acts was talking about. What it, what it says in Acts chapter two is it talks about a group of people doing this consistently, daily. People that could count on one another. And so one of the things I was also asked to talk today a little bit about by Pastor Keith was, was small groups and kind of what they're going to mean at Crosswalk in, in relationship to this passage of Scripture. One of the things that he, that he said as we were talking through, through these sermon series is that as we get bigger, you have to get smaller. Some of you probably heard things like that before. And I think what it means is that as our church grows and invites new people in the doors, it gets very difficult for someone, one person, to know every single person, to know every need that that person has, every need that their family has, even all of the great things that are going on in their lives. And so life groups need to work because they become a subset of Crosswalk that gives people real accountability and access to one another. And so he ta- you know, Pastor Keith asked me to talk about this a little bit today because this is one of the goals for this year. And I, I'll let him spend time over his next couple weeks of the sermon series talking more about that. But if we're going to be a church that really wants to help people of all walks of life to walk with Christ, then we really need to be able to get down to this low level enough to actually help people, to actually know each other. You know, it's one thing to invite someone here, and it's great when we invite people into these doors, Well, what happens when they get here? And even better, what happens when they stay, right? In order to have a thriving and growing church body, these lower-level friendships and life groups have to be growing as well. And so I think it also may seem a little bit different to some of us here, but in the context of that passage from Acts 2, it really makes a ton of sense. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When we act out what it says in Acts 2, this is the response that the Lord did. He added to their number. But it doesn't say 
that they were saved and then forgotten about. So naturally, I'm going to assume that we have to go back up to the start of that verse and say, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They just joined into that same group of believers, right? And so that's that's one of the areas we'll be going this year. And it's a radical thing following Christ. The way that He lived and the way that we need to live are foreign concepts to this world. And unfortunately, unfortunately, they become more foreign with each passing year. With each new technology that comes out and each new self-help guru that breaks out on TV. And the only way we can endure in this climate is by belonging to each other, belonging to our friends in Christ, and belonging to the body of Christ. So our bottom line today is this. I belong. But the question I'm going to ask you is, can you write that down today? Do you mean it? Can you write that down? Do you belong? I want to encourage you today, whether you're someone who has been in the church their entire life, or if it's your first time in a church today, to make sure that you're belonging here. In church, is it okay if I'm just a little vulnerable with you this morning? I believe that there's a real, real important reason that God had Pastor Keith ask me to preach on this message because I'll tell you, it, it, it caused a good amount of pause for self-reflection. And as I, as I tell you this next thing, I'm going to tell you that, you know, when you're, when you're preparing to give a message like this, you hear the whisper of the, of the enemy behind you the entire time. And so when I tell you, are you being a friend to other people in the church today? I'll tell you, he's sitting there saying to me, how are you going to stand and say that, you hypocrite? And I have friends in the church, but I'll tell you this much. I know I can do better. I know that there are people here that I can reach out to. And so, especially if we're people that have been in the faith for a long time, I know that I've been a follower of Jesus for 30 years or more at this point in my life. I can't remember the exact year that I got saved, but I can remember where it was, and, and the pastor that was there was at Monroe Missionary Baptist Church over there on Wadsworth. I believe the man's name was Pastor Damon Patterson, if I got it right. I was at vacation Bible school, and I kneeled down and accepted Jesus to be my Savior. And so I've, I've known Jesus for a long time, but am I doing enough to help other people know Jesus? No, I, I that's how I can say this. That's what I can tell the enemy. I know I'm I know I've got to do better, and I know a lot of us can do the same. And so, if you're a first-time believer here, or you're a first-time Christian, or you're a new Christian here, and you don't have those friends, there are people here that want to mentor you and talk to you and be your friend. And if you're a long-time believer here, you've got to go and seek those people out. It's It can't be a one-way street here. We have to be out reaching out to each other and loving one another, encouraging others on towards love and good deeds. If we don't do that, then why would anybody ever want to come in past that cinder block and stay here? To be a church where people can belong, we have to belong to one another now. And so that's my challenge to you guys today. I wasn't asked to give that, but you know, in a time of self-reflection as I was going over this Scripture, going over this message, I realized I can do better and I've got a feeling that there's some some of us out here that can do even better as well. 
This podcast has been recorded live at Crosswalk Community Church. Services are held every Sunday at 10 a.m. at 925 South Telegraph Road in Monroe, Michigan.